pop champagne because it's episode 21 of Slam City here on Dunk360.com. Jeremy Epstein and Raymond Mora, the dynamic duo, are here. Ray, we have a great show coming up. Keach Slosher, uh, who covers the Knicks for SNY, is going to join us. But we're going to start off with some baseball playoffs. Big game five last night, but we're going to start with the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. What are you making them so far? Well, you know, going into that game, you know, I said to myself, what is the one thing that separates a good team from being a great team? Well, the uh, ability to come back three down, three run down, which they or, were. Or the, just the ability to come back in yeah. the postseason. Yeah, they pretty much they came back in that ninth inning. And I kind of knew in the back of my head, I'm just like, you know, this is the type of game where they probably come back. And I even said it, that this game wasn't over at all. They were going to come back and probably tie it. I don't know if they were going to take the lead, but they were going to tie it. And they took the lead. And then coming from that perspective you also look at a Giants bullpen who's been pretty much the worst bullpen in the league blowing save after save or leads I think they blew like over 31 yeah, no their bullpen has struggled they've been yeah. like a real closer by committee type team yeah and it's just been like Sergio Romo wasn't has been the same and uh, he's got to be a free agent he probably will leave the team or maybe he'll stay with them but you know going back to the Cubs they did what they had to do they beat the Giants they beat a tough Giants team who's historically been known to be uh, great in the postseason. In even years. Yeah, in even years. This is not the year for them. Uh, it's finally <laughs> over. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be over eventually. I mean, they faced a, a great Cubs team who, in my opinion, should be the favorites to win the World Series. I think they are. So what stands out to me is that this is the type of game that the Cubs usually, uh, over their franchise history and their postseason, since they haven't won a World Series since 1908, kind of lose. Where they are they have a 2 nothing lead. They win the first two games easily. And then you see him in game three, and then you see him in game four where it's like, oh, no, it's happening again. We're going to blow a 2-0 lead. We're going to go to a game five. I think they've really exercised some demons with a win like that where they kind of change the perception of the team. If you look at even in the playoffs last year, they swept the Cardinals, then they got swept by the Mets. So they haven't really faced any adversity in the playoffs until this year. I mean, if I were a fan, though, I, I would have been kind of nervous. Though. Like, if you oh, you had to be nervous. If you're, Chica- if you're a Chicago Cub fan, you're nervous in opening day. Yeah, you're just like, oh, it's just going to be another year <laughs> of misery. But they did it, and then they won over 100 games. And then going back to that series, though, I mean, I, I would have been nervous as a fan. If they lost that game four, then we had a game five. And game five would have been pretty much a tight game for, for the players. Pressure pack. Yeah, they all would have been pressured and. You know, I think the best pickups for for Joe Madden, I think for the season, also for the front office, was probably Ben Zorberus. You know, guy in the off season. Yeah, who's been ben there? Ben Zorber, Theo Epstein's done a fantastic job. Very versatile. He's just player. he's just bringing his curse breaking. First, he breaks the Red Sox curse. Now yeah. he's going to try to break the Cubs curse, yeah. and he's just going to ride into Cooperstown, breaking the two most <laughs> notorious curses in sports. Yeah, Ben Zorberus is like a, a great, utility all star. Yeah, great utility player. I mean, he's also a good. I think he's one of the leaders on the team as well. You know, I think win a World Series with Kansas City last year knows what it takes to get there and yeah. to win. Yeah, and he probably told the players, you know, it's it's just a tough team, I and mean, you just gotta be patient. They were they were patient with every pitcher they faced. You know, they and weren't he, like swinging. Speaking crazy. of Zobrist, if you look at the team he was on last year, the Royals, especially in the World Series against the Mets, they never gave up. Yeah, they always rallied back in that World Series. They were down in the eighth inning, I think, in almost every game. And he still rallied back. So Zobris really could tell his teammates from experience, look, guys, just keep swinging, just keep taking pitches, and we'll still have a chance. Yeah, and they beat the Giants, and now they move on to face the Dodgers, who had a pretty much a A demon-exercising moment last night. And they had a great game yesterday, too. I mean, it was pretty much back and forth. Max Scherzer pitched, you know, really well until uh, the seventh inning when he allowed that home run, and then everything just started collapsing. And that was also the longest inning I think I've seen in the postseason in a while. It took like an hour and seven minutes for it to yeah, finish. The, <laughs> the, the postseason baseball, innings could get long. Yeah, especially when but you have like six pitchers in yeah. one inning. Oh, when there's a constant pitching change. Yeah. And then, like, After pitching, like, and then like you bring right. in, like it, if you go look at the Cubs-Giants game, I think um, like Bruce Bochy and Joe Madden kind of had a chess match where Joe Man. Madden, where Bruce Bochy brought in one pitcher, then Joe Madden pinch hit for him, and then Bruce Bochy brought in another guy, and Joe Madden pinch hit for that guy. And it never works. It's left and right. No, it never works. Right. I don't know why they it keep always, doing this it left and right works. stuff. Because like, the the team who's up will always just pinch hit the guy. Yeah. It so, never works. And then you just waste a solid pitcher. Yeah, and, and you look at it yesterday, I mean, that seventh inning, it changed the whole game. And then when the Nationals came back down one, they hit a home run, it was 4-3. You know, I I was actually kind of nervous, like the Nationals were going to come back and win the game. But then Jansen came in, 
pitched two great innings, and then Kershaw. Who really, yeah. I don't think we could say he's not clutch in the postseason anymore. We kind of, nope. it's he's not David Price, who's, nope. who's the, just the, tremendously struggling. He's still struggling big time. But Clayton Kershaw come up game four, pitched six and two thirds, solid innings. Yeah, and then coming right. in the ninth inning last night and just really exercising some demons against Daniel Murphy and getting the final two outs of that game. I think he just has more help, though, Kershaw. I think the past has always been he had to pitch lights out because he didn't really have much help from the Dodgers. But now this, offensively? Yeah, offensively. Now it looks like they're more balanced now, and I think they're giving him more help, not just offensively, but the bullpen as well, just giving him more breathing room and not panicking. I think the pitch. long ball was really big for Kershaw in the previous postseason starts. He's pitched really well, and then he'd make one bad pitch. And they lose. Yeah, I think he has. he's kind of gotten rid of that mindset maybe that, you know, let me just not put so much pressure on every pitch and try to fix that little mindset because that really hurt him. And if you look at the game against the Cardinals where he gave up that home run to Matt Adams or the games against – even game one against the Mets last year he struggled, but then in game four he shut them down. He shut them down big time. So I think Kershaw the last two postseasons has really pitched pretty well. I mean, he's a monster. I mean, this guy works out hard to get his body ready for pitching. I mean, physically, I think he's one of a kind. I think you can yeah. put him up there maybe in top 10 athletes in terms of preparing this. I know he's just pitching. His breaking ball is just nasty. Yeah, I know he's just a pitcher, and you see a lot of pitchers just run and all that, but the way his body is performed and also the way he prepares his body, yeah. it's like un- It's not like you're a kicker in football. No, yeah. you actually – Clayton Kershaw works out. Have you seen his workouts? Like yeah, he's this, unbelievable. This guy squats like at least 500 pounds yeah, or something he, like that. People complain about starting pitchers. They say, you know, they only pitch – they only work 30 times a year. They pitch once, yeah. have five days off. But this but guy – No, Clayton crazy. Kershaw works – and there's a reason why he's as good as and he is. And also a reason why he's a two-time MVP. And it's good. Two, I mean, one-time one MVP. Cy Young. Multiple Cy Young yeah, multiple Cy Young awards, yeah. But he might be in the running for it this year. He's not going to win it. Chris, I know you're a big it. Daniel Murphy guy. <laughs> I personally think Chris Bryant's going to run away with the MVP. But talking about that, it's a perfect segue because now it's Chris Bryant's Cubs versus Clayton Kershaw's Dodgers. Who do you got? I got... I still got the. I think I got the Cubs in six or seven. You, I, so you think it's going to be a competitive series? Oh yeah, I think the Dodgers. They're going to make this a competitive series. I don't know if they'll win it, but I mean the only chance the Dodgers can win it is if Clayton Kershaw pitches lights out in every start he has. So he can only pitch two or three times. So and what you're saying is, times he has if to they lose a Clayton Kershaw start, it's it's over for the Dodgers. But I wouldn't be shocked though. He pitches four times this series. How? Maybe in relief might, in one yeah, game, reliever, relieving. Okay, like they did with Madison Bogart for the Giants, something like that. And that's but are you afraid that I mean, there's two thoughts on this. You use him. It's the Buck Walter and kind of like the Terry Francona type thought. You use the guy as much as you can, or are you afraid you burn him out? Because if the Dodgers get to the World Series, are you afraid you burn Clayton Kershaw out if you use him four times? Which I don't think they can, don't but think if so. they use him four times, in I the mean, series. they think they may burn him out, but I think Clayton Kershaw knows his body more than anybody else. If he he thinks he's capable of doing that, and I think yesterday you proved that he was capable of doing that. Yeah. Coming back from an injury, he said it to to Roberts. If you need me, I'm going to be in there. So what do you make of the job ready. Dave Roberts has done so far? Because you know they fired Don Manley, which yeah. a lot of people were like, "Why are you firing Manley?" I thought I was one of those people. I thought well, I don't know why they like fired Manley. Well, I don't think he got along with the front office, but he produced. The Dodgers were really good. They won the NL West a few years in a row. And so that was a real controversial move, and they hired Dave Roberts. What do you think? You think he's done a good job so far? I think he's done a tremendous job, and I think he's one of those player coaches for them, yeah. player managers for them. Uh, uh, you know, he's a guy who, who makes good decisions most of the time. I think the one bonus decision he made was the bunt yesterday, trying to squeeze in for the other runner, and it kind of failed on him and backfired. But uh, despite all that, I think he's done a pretty good job. I'm actually impressed with him. I would does. say he's done a good job. I mean, I didn't think Dave Roberts would be as good of a – I know he's been Me a either. bench coach with the Padres. Yeah. And he's, he's worked around the game. I know Yankee fans are very upset with him for stealing that base in 2004. Yeah. I still haven't forgot that. And It's funny. You look at all these matches like Don Manley and you look at also um, Ventura. You know, these guys have been players, ma- uh, managers that, that have been playing for the Yankees. I yeah. think some people who are managers – Come from the Yankees organization back in the day, yeah. Where they learn from the, how the Yankees won. That's why everybody wants to be like the Yankees. But back to Dave Roberts, I think he commands a certain respect in that clubhouse. He the does. way he dealt with the Yasiel Puig situation, the way he's kind of molded the team into his image so far, getting away from the Don Mattingly era, kind of moving on to this new era, and then they got back. They got to the NLCS, which is more than you could say they've done a year ago. But on to the Cubs. I think the Cubs are. The odds-on favorite, clearly, to at least definitely get to the World Series. Oh, I, yeah. I don't see the Dodgers 
being much of a threat to Chicago. You don't think it's going to be competitive? I think it's one of those things where the Cubs will win in five, but it'll be competitive five games. Every game will come be right down to the nose. It'll kind of be like the NLCS last year where you you can't really say none of those games were competitive. It was a four-game sweep, but a lot of those games, except the last game where the Mets just blew out the Cubs, were all competitive. You think, though, that is Kershaw going to pitch game one or he's not? Know, it's going to be tough. When does the series really, start? I think it starts tomorrow. So he can't pitch game one. Because he's he pitched because not starting uh, today they played yesterday so yeah so gonna start Saturday, um because I I believe though and I said it before I think it'll be Cubs in six or seven but I wouldn't be shocked I go five though. or six I wouldn't be shocked though if the Dodgers make I'd be shocked series. you think you shocked. think so I'd be shocked the Dodgers, the Dodgers have Dodgers. been really good to the Dodgers haven't been that great plays though yeah but they have if you look at the Dodgers over the past few years. They haven't been really clutching the playoffs either. Yeah, but they got the rookie phenomenal player, uh, Seager, who's been he, – he's probably going to be rookie of the year, I think, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, most likely. And he, he had a clutch hit yesterday, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's another hit against the Cubs too. I mean, they got a they got a young stud at the Dodgers in him, and they got Kershaw, and they got the bullpen. I mean, anything could happen. That's all I can say. I mean, but I still got the Cubs in six or seven. Yeah, I think the Cubs would definitely win. I, I really do. I'm really confident in this team. I just love the way Joe Madden changed the culture there completely. We talked about it earlier how – a game like that, a game four against the Giants, down three runs, that's a game you could usually chalk up as a Chicago Cubs loss. But instead, they rally back, they win the game, they advance. with the um, They're riding a wave. They're playing some of their best baseball they played all year. I just think this is the Cubs' year. It, it is the Cubs' year. I mean, you look at the ball bouncing in their direction almost in every way. It's been like that the whole season and now even the postseason. So do you think that – Going into the bottom line, that this series, the Cubs and Dodgers, will be decided by pitching or hitting? I always said that I think the way you, you advance in the playoffs, and we saw last year was with the Mets and the starting pitcher, you just need like one or two aces, but the Mets had like four basically. Yeah. But, you know, look at the Dodgers. They had the best pitcher in, in the series uh, be over Lester, over Ariel. Kershaw. Or, yeah. Kershaw is the best. So the way I see it, it's, it's going to be determined what Kershaw does in this series. If he plays up to his, p- his potential, which he, I know he's capable of doing, then they have a chance, and they probably could upset them. But if the Cubs find a way to get to that bullpen with a lead, then they're going to win. So speaking about pitching and leading and having that be the driving force and advancing into the playoffs, it's an interesting segue because in the American League, the Toronto Blue Jays just bludgeoned and hit the home <laughs> run their way to beat yeah. the Texas Rangers. But Cleveland, in beating the Red Sox, Hit, pitched, did yeah. everything they could. All around. So I think that series is pretty – I wouldn't really say it would be that competitive because if Cleveland's pitching could shut down Toronto's offense, I'm really confident but, Cleveland could get past them. Well, I find it interesting, though, with these two teams because, you know, uh, one in, they're actually first and second in starting pitchers ERA, and I'm saying that uh, Indians are, are, I believe, second. Who's uh, number one in the AL? And then the Indians are ranked second as well for the bullpen and the – Blue Jays are 12th. So the way I see it, like you said, it's all about pitching in the postseason. But if the Indians can somehow have the starting pitchers go a lengthy seven innings and then they get to that bullpen with well, the lead. That, they, they don't even win. have to do that. If you look at how they've been, how Terry Francona's managed this team so far in the postseason, he's kind of taken the Ned Yost style where if the starter goes four and two-thirds, five, and he's in a jam, he goes straight to that bullpen. And you got Andrew Miller. You got, yeah. you got that three-headed little monster they have there. And they just they use that strategy to perfection with the against the Boston Red Sox. I mean, it'll be interesting because because the starters don't have to go that deep. They they yeah. are able. I mean, Kluber went pretty deep. Yeah, in that in deep. that game to win, but they that's not something that has to happen. I just want the Indians to beat the Blue Jays. <laughs> You're not a Blue Jay guy. No, because the Blue Jays are just a bunch of whiners, and, and they just they're hated by fans and will be players. You really hate the Blue Jays because they they just just like they believe that. Why? First of all, why are you angry at the world? That's what I want to know. And secondly, wh- why are you like trying to start fights with everybody now? For, I don't know for no reason. I don't know why. Maybe because they they're angry at the world. Maybe they're just angry because they play in another country. I don't know. I, mean, I love all, Can- I love Toronto. I think that Russell Martin is. I, I don't even. Russell like Martin's anymore. angry. I used to love him. What's he, he angry about? He's just angry all the time. Yeah, John Donaldson is also. Hey, they're a, mad a big that one. he belongs in that diva list that we did last week. Yeah, we week. did last He's week. He's in that diva list too. 
Donaldson. Bautista with the bad flips. Tony Tomaski has like issues with people touching him for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. You like, don't have no issues with people touching you? But no, but I'm saying like no one's touching you and you keep saying this like like yeah. as soon as I know where you start a fight or something, like hey, hey, or or when they pitch him inside, Donaldson or Troy Tomaski, they start getting angry, like, oh, why are you pitching me? And inside? they over exaggerate like how close it was. Yeah. It, it like they'll flinch if it's an inside pitch to even if it's like a quarter of an inch inside, it could be eighty percent on the outside corner and they'll still flinch of a if something comes near them, I just don't know why they're so angry. That's why I don't understand. Well, I mean, just enjoy the game. I mean, if we just do it right, maybe and also playing the, angry is their process. Also, the fans though, they disgust you know. me. They <laughs> disgust me big time. What what they did to the, to the Orioles series where they threw that can, and we talked about that two weeks ago. I mean, that that was just that disgusting. was no, that was a disgrace. You can't throw a can. And the guy was a sports journalist who did it. Yeah, and the thing is, if he got hit, you probably would have gotten hurt. Yeah, no, seriously, you can't. And I, I wouldn't even know you sell cans. If I was an umpire and he did get hit and he didn't catch the ball, I no, you, that I out. think you get called yeah, you that because interference. Out. Yeah, interference at all. That's an out. So, so we kind of got <laughs> off track a little bit, but I feel like the Cleveland Indians. I think this is the year where one curse gets broken: the Indians curse or the Cubs curse. Is Cleveland title town now that you know you have the UFC champion Stipe, who's from there? You have the Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. who came back from a three-one deficit. Is this the year for Cleveland, or, Maybe. or is Chicago finally going to exercise those demons? Those since nineteen oh eight. Maybe Break it's just, the Billy Go curse. Maybe it's just a year of the curse. I mean, you know, you got the Cavaliers winning it. You had maybe now you have the Cubs winning it this year now. And also, speaking of Cleveland and Toronto, this is the second time in sports history. Well, actually, the first time in sports history where you have two cities face each other, but in a different uh, setting, different base baseball. Okay. This year they did it in the NBA championship round. Okay. Then now this time they did in it in the in the champ. Yeah, oh, so that's a, that is yeah. that is interesting. That's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. Because these fans clearly don't like each other. I mean, we're not gonna see this in the NFL. Cause no, because the, the people, yeah. well, they, there's no team in Toronto. There's no team in Toronto, yeah. But it's just seeing in baseball, now they're facing each other yeah. again, but now only in baseball. In a different now. sport. No, so that's a really see, good point. Let's see if a rivalry actually now comes up between these yeah. two cities now. It would be interesting. Yeah, because now it's not just a sport rivalry. Yeah. It's more of a city. Like, they don't like them. Yeah. they Each city does not like each other. And So I, the overriding thought here, though, is you have Cleveland beating Toronto. I have them beating it in – Six games. I get I Toronto see, two games. Yeah, because I could see Toronto getting hot a couple games. Yeah, the offense. I get them. Yeah, they, they did the same against the Royals last year. I don't remember exactly how, but their their offense got their offense got hot a couple games. I mean, David Price struggled. They probably for the Blue Jays. He's, he's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I feel bad for. David. I'm glad we didn't pay him. But the yeah, Yankees, the that would have been like. I would have oh, been. We would have been like either well, frustrated we, with him in the postseason. We didn't make the we didn't make the postseason, so maybe it would have been nice to yeah. make the postseason. Thank but goodness. I think that the Blue Jays could make it competitive, but I really think Cleveland's they're a better all around team. All around every yeah. every every I think spot. they've pretty much been the the American League's been it's not like in with Chicago and the National League where they're clearly headed shoulders the best team and you're just worried that, you know, the curses will catch up to them. I think Cleveland in the up and down American League this year, they've been I think you could argue the best team in the in the league. It would have been kind of interesting, though. You used to see the Indians and Cubs in the worst series. That you yeah. see Angie Miller against Chapman. Yeah, it's like, oh. I mean, oh. Yankees. Yankees, they have them right there. Now they're facing each other. Now we'll see who wins it all. And then one of them, for all we know, we can make the case that one of them might might leave and one of them will stay or something like yeah. that and go back to the Yankees or maybe some I other team. I think Chapman could come back to the Yankees. If I think Miller has another year. If they don't, Cubs don't go far. The Cubs have gone far already. But if they don't win, maybe if they don't win the World Series, he'll well, they come, have to pay him. He'll come back. If they win the World Series, I can see him stay there. Yeah, maybe. Because he broke, he broke the curse. Because I think he'll be a, a there'll be legends there, in Chicago. Yeah. He'd be a god if they there. get to the World Series, I think they'll be legends. Yeah, for sure. But they gotta win it too. I mean, you can yeah. get there, then you can lose. No, that'd be heartbreaking. Cup fans will, will say like they maybe they get there never again. Yeah, or, or no, Cup fans it. will struggle. Yeah, they, they gotta. So cry. Indians Cubs, you've heard it here first. It's you Indians Cubs. Yeah, World Series. Yep, I, I think that I think that's a real strong possibility. I think the American League playoffs have been kind of boring, both it, sweeps. Yeah, but at least sweet. the National League, four games, five games. Been competitive, They've but been I think the opposite is going to happen in the division. So I think the Cubs will really, I I it, I wouldn't shock me if it's competitive, but I think the Cubs are, they're going to want to get rid of, get rid of the Dodgers really quickly, and, and so they could just get ready for the layoff, get their mindset for the World Series, and I think Toronto, Cleveland, 
I, I can't pick against Cleveland right now. And they're playing tomorrow, the Cubs, I believe, and against the Dodgers, and tonight is the Indians. Yeah, the so Blue you Chase. can start Kershaw in game one. He's not going to be able to pitch four times. He's going to be able to pitch two, maybe three he at the most. start then game two or three, though, one of those games. Right, starting Kershaw on short rest, and then have, and then wanting him to carry your team is not going to be, not going to be they a winning have, strategy. They have no choice, man. I mean, they're trying to win. They're trying to win. They're trying to get to the World Series, so they yep. might have no choice but to play Kershaw a lot of minutes. Slam City here. We're here with Keith Schlosser, who covers the Knicks for SNY. Keith, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, anytime. So, we're a few games into the preseason. How would you evaluate the Knicks so far? You know, I think there's reason to be optimistic. Obviously, they've won two out of three, and, you know, they've been without Joaquin, Joaquin Noah, without Derek Rose at the same time. They've played really well. You know, Melo looks good. He's in shape. He, he's being a team player, sharing the ball. This team has a lot of weapons, and, and they look good. You know, we've got guys that are like Jason Randall, training camp invitee, comes in, filling that backup point guard role. He's good. Brandon Jennings has showed some potential. Perzingis looks in shape, so I think there's reason to be optimistic. Is it also a reason to be a little nervous that Noah, who is injury-prone, is dealing with a few injuries so far this training camp? <laughs> yes. You know, you know, he's coming off of a 29-game 20, season last year, obviously has, has the knee issues, was uh, this year has already had a hamstring issue. The hamstring is something that can really nag a guy early on you really don't want him to be affected by that so early because the Knicks want to get off on the right step you know right off the bat they want to play well and if you can't he's supposed to be a defensive anchor if you can't incorporate him into the defense and have him be a leader you're really you know you're really at the point where you can't start off with the foot that you want. Uh, Keith tell me how impressed are you with Chris Asperger because right now you know the first couple of preseason games he's been playing pretty well. I'm very impressed with Perzingis. Um, you know, more, moreover, actually, you, you mentioned that he's playing well, and that's great, but, but I think there's a, a lot of reasons to be impressed by his maturity, you know, on and off the court. He, he's, he's a guy who obviously came to the States last year. That was an adjustment for him. Now he's coming more into his own, comfortable. He knows what, what to expect. Um, you know, of the league, the media. He knows what the team expects of him. So he's at a point where he could really shine. You know, and also he knows how to play with Carmelo Anthony. They've got a really good two-man game going on, and he's he's somebody who can really become a star in New York. So when the they, Knicks originally got Derrick Rose, the concern was that Porzingis' touches would kind of deteriorate a little bit with Rose being so ball-dominant. Have you seen Jeff Hornacek work Porzingis into some offensive sets and some offensive plays so far to kind of alleviate those concerns and make sure Porzingis gets the touches he needs? I think you're absolutely right in thinking that Przingis needs the, the attention on offense in order to develop into the kind of player that the Knicks want him to be. But I would even argue that Derrick Rose is huge in Przingis' development. I think you're going to see a lot of pick and roll, a lot of penetration from Rose, and then you're going to see Przingis kind of spread the floor a little bit. You know, last season, Przingis was attacking the boards, you know, uh, uh, kind of following up on putback bunks, but I think you're going to see him around the perimeter shooting more threes, and that's a result of, one, being with, with Derrick Rose as a point guard, but, two, having Tornasek as a coach who likes to run and gun a little bit. So you mentioned the pick and roll, which is an antithesis of the triangle offense. There's been reports that the Knicks are kind of moving away from that, going to only run it in some dead ball sets, maybe after a timeout or something like that. What have they done to kind of get away from the triangle offense, and is that offense officially not their main one anymore? You know, I think the triangle is still very much a part of their offense. What they're doing, though, is putting less pressure on, on implementing it. It's a point of the last two years, it's all about Phil Jackson. It's all about the triangle. You know, that's in sort of player's head. There's a lot of pressure to kind of implement specific things. The way Jeff Hornacek sees it, it's just another way to spread the floor, get guys involved. And that's really what you want, especially on this year's Knicks team. We've talked about Melo, Derek Rose, Przingis. You've got so many offensive weapons, and you just want to get them involved. The triangle helps you do that. You know, there is one player on the team that pretty much caught the eye of the fans in the preseason. That's Brandon Jennings. You know, you see a guy who's coming back from Achilles injury who wanted to be a Nick, and now it finally is. Do you see him having a great year? <laughs> 
You know, so far so good. You know, it's one of those things that I think it's a it's a low pressure situation for Jennings. He came in. He's supposed to be the team's sixth man. Obviously, he's going to create mismatches with opposing second units. This guy can score. You know, and the whole thing is, you know, is he a point guard? Is is he a floor general? If he's coming off the bench, he's just going to fill it up offensively, give them the offensive boost that they need, and they're really going to benefit from that. Having said that. Obviously, he's starting in place of Derrick Rose. Rose's injury is a major concern. So I think that the more Derrick Rose is out, Jennings is going to have a little bit more t- a difficult time adjusting because the team is going to need more from him. I think if Derrick Rose gets back, we're going to see a big year from Brandon Jennings off the bench. Do you see this team in terms of defensively? Do you think they're going to struggle this year? Because, you know, the first preseason game, they gave up 130 points, and now they settled down just a little bit. But with Joaquin Noah coming back, you think this team could be good defensively, possibly top 15 in the league? Well, to have Joaquin Noah back is a big if. You know, we talked about that earlier, the fact that, you know, they're waiting on him. He's a $70 million four-year investment that they made. Obviously, they have faith in his ability, but also they're dependent upon what he does. Uh, I think we've seen in the first three games they've, they've lacked a defensive intensity, a defensive awareness. They've got a lot of young guys who need Noah as their leader, their commander-in-chief to kind of guide them. So I think there's reason to be concerned if Noah's not on the floor. I think that there's not a lot of argument that the Knicks, if healthy, their starting five is definitely at least at the top five in the Eastern Conference when you have Derrick Rose, Courtney Lee, Carmelo, Chris Asporzingis, and Noah. But out of the five I just named, all of them have kind of missed time with injuries over the last few years. When you look at the Knicks bench, you have a lot of inexperience other than Brandon Jennings. You don't really have a third point guard. I know you, we talked about chasing Randall a little bit, but Lance Thomas is coming back. And then you have a bunch of guys who play the four and the five, like um, Hernan Gomez, Kyle O'Quinn. What do you make of the kind of the youth movement they have going on the bench, especially with the big men? Um, you know, it's one of those things. I think the, the Knicks have trouble figuring out what they want to do as a franchise with regard to their vision, right? So, you know, do they want to compete? Do they want to kind of move forward with a youth movement? And, and you've kind of got the tale of two teams here. Like you mentioned, you've got experience in the starters and, and kind of a, a young and upcoming bench. Um, you know, it's one of those things. The, the starters are really going to hold the key to the season because the minute one or two of those guys go down, they really don't have the backup necessary to, to sustain a very competitive run. So, you know, what do I make of it? I, I think that the bench is going to leave them vulnerable if the starters get injured. And, and from there on out, I don't see them competing as as much as they should be, I think. Do you think the lack of continuity over the past few years, especially with Phil Jackson at the helm, is kind of hurting them from a developmental standpoint? Can you repeat the question, Jeremy? Do you think the lack of continuity, because we mentioned, if you look at the team Phil Jackson first inherited, you had J.R. Smith, Amon Shumpert, then he broke that down. You had that kind of era with the Smith Shumpert from the 54-win team. He broke that down, and now it's kind of the second era. And even from last year, there's a whole bunch of new faces. So do you think the lack of continuity is kind of affecting their development so far? Almost definitely. You know, I, I think that's a, you know, that's probably one of the mo- the things that's, you know, that's not talked about enough is the fact that, you know, Phil Jackson has failed two years in a row now. And, and a big, not only has he failed, but he hasn't given this, this group a chance to improve from one year to the next because it's a totally different group. And I think that the holdovers that you have, whether it's, you know, Carmelo Anthony, obviously, Przingis is heading into year two. Uh, Thomas, Lou Amundsen are, are both heading into year number three. I think that throws these guys off because there isn't an opportunity to develop the continuity. And, and if you look at a lot of the other playoff teams, the perennial co- uh, contenders in the league, these are all guys who have been together, developed that chemistry, and the Knicks simply haven't had an opportunity to do that. You know, we talk all, all of that. Where you think they stand in Eastern Conference? Are they a, a fourth seed? Are they a fifth seed? Or they can be maybe a third, second seed? I think, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that we haven't seen a Phil Jackson as an executive, a Phil Jackson-led team, even make the playoffs. So, so I think that's an optimistic point of view. A lot of people seem to have it. You know, we're, I've heard a lot of talk about whether or not the Knicks can get a home court advantage. I think that's very generous. I think, I mean, listen, they've got a good team. They've got experience. But there's also 
questions. We've talked about it with regard to the injuries, the young bench. So I think, you know, they're going to be competitive. I, I think they're going to sit around a six seed or so. And then maybe if they can kind of develop their continuity and guys stay healthy, maybe as a six seed, surprise some people in the playoffs. We haven't talked much about the Knicks franchise player, Carmelo Anthony. A ranking in slam came out. And he was rated 15th. Personally, I think that's about right where he is so far in the NBA, where he is at this era, at this stage of his career. I know he had a low scoring year last year, but other than that, his assists were up, his rebounds, he rebounded the ball at a good rate. What do you think? What do you think Carmelo's mindset is, especially coming off the Olympics, looking at the team, the talent? He definitely has talent around him, but where do you think his mindset is going? He's older. He's in the third year of that contract. Where do you think his mindset is? I think he's a little bitter, you know, and I think he has the right to be. I know I would. Uh, you know, he, he certainly has, you know, some to prove because his teams haven't been winning. And, and when you have a superstar who's, you know, when you talk about the lack of continuity, Melo's been the only guy who's been there from year to the next to the next now. So you kind of have to point fingers at him. But at the same time, he's got to be frustrated by the lack of continuity, the, the rotating door of teammates. Coaching and the changes. New York media – Coaching changes, you're absolutely right. Coaching changes, um, the perception of the triangle, the questions about Jackson as an executive. You know, you got to figure the New York media, as dwelling as they are, plays into it too. And here's a guy who, despite all of that, just won his third gold medal. So here he is proving that he can be successful if given the tools that he needs. So I think he's, he's uh, you know, he's rightfully bitter because he, he deserves a little bit more credit. But like you said, his... Uh, his production over the last couple of years, coupled with his inability to lead, puts him at 15, and I think that's where he should be. So, looking at also what Melo has to do in this season, and then we look at Porzingis, do you, do you believe that maybe by midseason we'll see Porzingis be a, a sco- first scoring option, more so than Melo? I would say that, I, you know what, I would say the Knicks are going to explore that. I don't, you know, a lot of people say that Melo isn't capable of doing it anymore because he's getting older, because, you know, he, he's not a winner if he's the main scorer. Here's the thing I think Melo is a very underrated playmaker, and I think it's not a weakness in his game if he has to embrace his teammates. I think that's a huge plus. I think that if he has the tools around him, he can be a playmaker, elevate those guys. And I think that's really the key to the Knicks competing. And, and to answer your question, he's going to be the right-hand man to Przingis. Przingis has a very bright future, and Melo's going to enable that. So last question here, Keith. We've talked about Phil Jackson a little bit. When do you think the time – do you think this is the season? There's been two coaching changes. They've struggled since he's been here. Is this the ch- season that he's kind of held accountable for his what he's been doing in the front office? He's revamped this team twice already. Do you think this is he's on the road to one of his last chances or his last chance with the Knicks in terms of being a front office person? You know, I, I don't know with regard to James Dolan and the amount of patience. I, I don't know if he's on thin ice. But, you know, I, I know the pulse of the fans. I hear from them. They read our stuff. I, I know the fans are antsy. I know, uh, you know, the fellow media, we, we look at it, and we're not impressed by what he's done. So, you know he's in. He's technically speaking, he, he's in year four, but his third full season now, and, and it's a point where he's failed twice. He's got the pressure on. He made a comment last week that basically said, "Hey, this, this is the first time that we've been. You know, he and Steve Mills have been able to handpick this team." On Shaquille so O'Neal's podcast. The, it, yes, yep, yes, Shaquille O'Neal's <laughs> podcast. He said, "This is the, only, the first time we've gotten a chance to do that." So I think this is like uh, I don't know if it's do or die but it's certainly telling with regard to his capability to, to form a team as an executive. Keith Schlosser covers the Knicks for SNY. Keith, thank you very much for being so generous with your time today. Yeah, thank you. No, no problem, guys. Great to hear from you. Thanks. Joined in studio here on Slam City by Jason Bell, former NFL veteran and now host of the NFL UK on the BBC. Jason, thanks for stopping by. Good to be here, fellas. Yeah. Talk some little NFL football coming up. What do you think of so far? We're going to keep it local right now of the Jets and Ryan Fitzpatrick struggles. Boomer Esiason in his sixth interception performance, a game which I worked for CBS, said that it was the worst performance by a quarterback in 20 years. What do you make of the Jets so far? You know, it's hard when your quarterback misses that much time in the preseason, being able to get his timing together, his rhythm together, and working with his receivers and their offensive unit. And now you're seeing the results, you know. When he, he missed all that time, he came back, he tried to catch up. He doesn't have his rhythm right now, and that's what you're seeing. That's why you see turnovers happen. 
Interesting. Well, you're looking at also from the Jets offensive, offensively. Um, Matt Forte, you know, he he had a good start. He started out hot, and now he's just suddenly cold. Like you don't even see him on the field anymore. And he's and they, hurt, right? yeah, he's hurt right now too. But you also look at it now. Eric Decker is now out. He's on IR. He's out for the season. Offensively, can this team even be capable of scoring 20, 25 points as opposed to what they did last year? Yeah, when it, it doesn't look like it, just because of what you just said. You know, the problem is the quarterback comes in trying to get his time, and then you have significant injuries. I thought Matt Forte was was going to kind of bail them out, being a, a, a great receiver out of the backfield and things of that nature, and that bails out bad quarterback play. But now that he's banged up, uh, that offense is going to struggle. Because like what, with what you said, if you have a good running back and a guy you can dump the ball to, you, you just have need Fitzpatrick to be a game manager. And with him right now, you're asking him to kind of win you games and make these hero throws, and you're seeing the results, and it's not good. Yeah, that's what he always does too. He's he is a gunslinger. Like let's 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 all realize what he is. I mean, he's gonna push the ball into tight areas, and sometimes that doesn't work out. No, we we went through this on the show. We went through the Ryan Fitzpatrick cycle. He signs as a backup. The starter gets hurt. He'll have a really good season. He'll sign for big money, and then, and then he'll he struggle just, he just or get hurt. And then the it, the cycle continues. He's done it with Buffalo. You saw with Texans, with Houston a little bit, where he did throw for six touchdowns in a game. And there's a reason, though, Houston gave him up for a relatively nothing to the Jets in that trade. And there's also a reason Mike McCagney didn't really want to give him a big deal because he kind of saw the cycle coming. Yeah. I'm going to date myself. I played against him when he was at the Rams. He came in, uh, came in the game and uh, – brought him back you know I was playing for Houston and he came back and was just slinging the ball all the way yeah. down the field I mean that that's exactly what he does he comes in a game and you know he'll drive it down there and make some big time throws and some scores and you just get excited well I think he's such a gunslinger though the fact that also that he doesn't really have a strong arm that's why a lot of teams they just play within the box and then shoot uh throw deep passes but then he misses them why do you think they do that I mean, I, I don't think they allow, are trying to let him do those kind of things. <laughs> I think that he's just, you know, he's one of those guys that he's taking calculated risk. He's a very smart guy. So, you know, he's probably looking at his opportunities in a game like, hey, this is when I need to make it happen or this is when I need to try to make a play. And, you know, that sometimes doesn't work out. You're going to this matchup now against the Cardinals. We're going on the road, Monday Night Football. You know, pressure is on them is also on the Cardinals because both of these teams they're in a situation where if they lose the season's probably done what what the Jets have to do in order to win this game against this Cardinals team who hasn't been the same since last season somehow play some defense <laughs> you know they they definitely got to not give up the big play downfield because that's what Bruce Aarons likes to do he likes to air it out and yeah. get vertical and that's the Jets weakness this year you know and they're they're, they're playing a ton of man coverage uh, which you you think is the right thing to do with Especially corners with a guy like, like Grievous, right? But it's just not working out. No, Grievous is a step slower. You could argue he's a little hurt, but you know when you have a corner like Grievous, so like you said, man coverage is usually the best option because you want to put him on the number one receiver so you can shut him down. If you play him in zone, he can kind of get lost in the scheme, and it would be a little bit of a disaster. But you look at even the game the Jets won against Buffalo; they gave up giant plays. Yeah, so that's tough. So switching over to the Giants. What do you make of – you played in the NFL. What do you make of Odell Beckham so far? His kind of tantrums on the sideline, people are calling it a distraction. What, some people like that he plays with such a passion, but what do you make of it? You know, as as a player, it, it probably wouldn't frustrate me at all because I understand passion. I understand passionate players. And, you know, everybody's worried about their job and what they have to do. I think the media – catches on to it and makes it a big deal because it is that's what we see you know we only can react to what we see now being on the media side and it is a distraction for us but in the locker room uh maybe not as much but he has to get control of that because as you progress in your career one thing that happens is people know who you are and what you are and if anything agitates you or irritates you they're going to continually do that you talked about the media's influence him being in new york and him sometimes not – I mean, if you look at the game against the Vikings where he struggled, but the other games he produced, the games against um, the Redskins, he had over 120 yards receiving. I think the media could kind of shine a spotlight on it because he's such a lightning rod of controversy where he's playing in New York. He's a big personality. He makes spectacular plays. But like you said, I really don't think the players, unless it becomes over a distraction. I know Eli Manning said he's talked to him. Ben McAdoo publicly called him out and said it was a distraction, which I think – do you think that might be a little bit of an overcompensation because if you look at – the, who the coach of the Giants was before McAdoo, Tom Coughlin, was such a disciplinarian. Do you think McAdoo is trying to instill his own kind of disciplinarian-type attitude on the team by doing that, calling him out publicly? That could be true. You know, that could be his approach. I think that 
you know, New York is a big, a big city. The light is on you. And Eli has done a tremendous job with that and being able to maintain that. And that's why he's had the success and he's been able to balance that. And I think Odell is now what he's done in the offseason. He's become a star. And that's a lot of pressure. So I feel like he's allowing his performance, if he doesn't feel like he's a star because everybody thinks he's a star, I think he's just getting frustrated and he needs to know, you know, he goes to another team, he won't have this kind of pressure. He needs to just get it together and realize, you're in New York, relax. Well, if you were his teammate, what would you say to him, though? Like, what would you specifically say to him? Because a lot of players on the team, they've been saying stuff to him, but still, you know, he's still doing all these tantrums. And, and it's funny because you see every player in the league, right? They probably do something like that, but the camera isn't on them. But yeah. since Odell's in New York, the camera's on them, and no one really says anything about right. that. Right. As a, as a player, as a, especially as a defensive back, I would just tell him, hey, man, you just can't let them get under your skin because if I feel like you can beat me physically, the first thing I'm going to do is come at you mentally to try to slow you down because that's my only advantage. And that's, he can beat guys physically, so they're going to have to try him another way to defend him, and they're going to continue to do that. So to be a better player, I would tell him, relax your emotions, give them nothing. You know, some guys you play against, you start to talk to them, they play better. You learn quickly, hey, man, just leave this guy alone. But some guys start to play worse and they get out of their game, you go at them. So we talked to you a little bit about football. Now let's kind of switch over to you. You said you played in the NFL seven years. What kind of made – now you're working in broadcasting. What kind of made you make that switch? Did you eye that early in your career where you said, you know, life after football, I want to get into broadcasting? Not at all. You know, I wanted to get into finance and I went I went that route, but I was spending time and a lot of time in the UK, a lot of time in London. And um, the producers of the show just saw me at a grocery store, actually. <laughs> and we we're like, hey, I think this guy lives here, too. And uh, O.C. Yermanura, who I do the show with, was a teammate of mine. So I kind of just fell into it and then uh, found out I really enjoyed it. So you said you worked in finance. You said you also, before we started recording, that you work with athletes. Yes. Is that a passion of yours to kind of like make sure athletes don't, especially with a short-term career in the NFL, make sure they spend their money wisely and they know what they're doing and not making bad investments? Yeah, that's definitely my passion. And I, I developed that passion while I was in the locker room and I saw things with my own eyes. And I knew early in my career that that's the impact I wanted to have in my peer group. So I chose that route and that has been – a lot of fun helping guys kind of just they they know what decisions are right and wrong and they usually make the right one but it's just fun to be around and assist them in that good direction so talking to the main question a lot of people like me and Ray's mind when they see a lot of the athletes after their careers you look at a guy like Antoine Walker who lost a hundred million dollars what what do you advise the athletes to avoid or what kind of good investments to make because that's all the question on me and Ray's mind how did these athletes squander these tremendous amount of money you know, that's a that's a, a really <laughs> tough question because there's so many factors. But, you know, if I would say one thing, I would say I tell guys, just slow down, um, slow down, slow down. You don't have to make any drastic financial decisions. I think a lot of guys get in trouble when they do that, um, when they try to speed things up too fast. So just slow down. And, and I try to reference guys to understand what it took them to get to where they are in their career. Um, before you start thinking you're some kind of in, investment guru, which happens to a lot of guys doing a lot of deals, I'm think, I tell them, how long did it take you to develop the skills to be the player you are? I said, that's how long it'll take you to develop the skills to be a, a, a really good investor. And they kind of get to understand that and know that there's some work to be had. Tell us more about you know yourself in the show that you host, the NFL show. It's in on BBC. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so it's it's called the NFL Show. We started it last year, and it's a weekly highlight show. We usually highlight three or four games, and um, it's really been exciting. You know, I I don't we don't dumb it down to educate the UK fan. We kind of keep it very natural. But it's something they've never seen. You know, uh, American pundits say are, we're, we're a lot different than, than the, the, the U.K. ones. So we bring a different flair, and they seem to like it. It's, it's getting good reviews. Interesting. Jason Bell, thank you so much for spending some of your time. I know this was a short notice appearance, but we really appreciate you <laughs> hopping on. Appreciate yeah, it, fellas. You. It was fun. Well, we got a few minutes here. And guess who's making her comeback? She's back. That's right. She's back on December 30th, Ronda UFC Rousey. UFC 207, Ronda Rousey versus Amanda Nunes for the title. Yep. Think of bantamweight champion. Don't that title has gone, has been through some some stuff. It's gone from R Rousey lost the title, who had a stranglehold on it. Yeah. It was being it went from being one of the more consistent titles in sports to one that is 
kind of in a musical chair as a merry-go-round right now. She lost to Holly Holm, who lost to Misha Tate, who lost to Amanda <laughs> Nunes, who's Bring defending it. Rosie, right? Yeah, who's <laughs> defending it against Rousey. And it's great for the UFC. Just sold for four billion, and now their biggest star. I think I think she's a little bigger than McGregor, if I'm being honest. Is yeah. back, and will she be the same? That was a tough loss she took. You know, when it comes to to uh, you know, especially with the beatdown that she had, and she, she that lost. was a that was a yeah. humbling beatdown. Yeah, down. it was a humbling beatdown to come really back humbling. from that. I mean, remember we seen this from Rocky Three, something where Rocky got beat down by Mr. T or yeah. Clever Lang, as we call it in the movie. It was hard for him to come back. I mean, he thought he would he retire, and then Apollo Creed came out. I mean, who's Ronda Rousey's Apollo Creed? We don't know who that no, is. No, we it's don't. There's no one that. I mean, Ronda Rousey had that Mike Tyson <laughs> kind of yeah. aura, where when early for boxing fans and all this, when Mike Tyson fought early, it's like you have to catch the fight in the first round because Mike Tyson's gonna end the fight with one punch with a knockout really early, and that was Ronda. You'd expect her to get the armbar and put it on opponents really early, and. Then, like, when Mike lost to Buster Douglas, Ronda getting knocked out by Holly Holm was just something no UFC fan really had to expect. People didn't expect Ronda's fights to go, the f- like, more than two rounds, let alone for her to get knocked out. So that's a big question, though. What do you think, Ray? Do you think that she'll come back and be the same Ronda Rousey? She did have some knee surgery. She's, it, she hasn't been 100% healthy. And she has been focused on other aspects. Her Hollywood career is kind yeah. of burgeoning. She's in a remake of a few movies. And so that's a really the main question on everybody's mind is will she come back the same? And I don't think so. I think it's going to be a struggle for her. I think, I, for all we know, I think she may win this fight. She should win she, this fight. I think she'll beat But Nunes. I think it'll be a struggling type of win where in terms of she's coming back. It's not gonna, you don't think yeah. it'll be a strong statement? No, I don't think it'll be like win. a 10-second victory or something like that. Like she usually, like we, McGregor we versus Jose Aldo yeah. where he just punched, where Jose ran into that punch. Yeah, and then just game over right yeah. there. I don't think it's going to be that type of, of fight for her. I think she's going to figure out a way to win. Um, I think in terms of training, you know, if she's going to be prepared for this fight. I've, I've, all the reports have been that she's been in the gym. Yeah, but the gym is not the same as being in a But, in like, no, action. but I'm saying, like, she she's at least not out of shape. You I know, know. She's been around. She's, yeah. been, she's been working on her craft, maybe studying the film of how she lost the fight. Maybe she's changed. She won't come in as cocky as she has. And you know what? I don't blame her for coming in that cocky against Holly Holm. When she's beaten everybody, beaten everybody soundly. And then she just tried to box against the boxer in Holly Holm and just it didn't work. But if anything, and then she took that head kick. And, the the oh monkey boy. got off the back of her staying undefeated. Maybe she wanted to stay undefeated and retire. She, that was her whole thing, though, that she was unstoppable. <laughs> she's going to stay undefeated and, and retire, retire young. And had that aura of invincibility. That aura is gone. Ronda could be beat. And that's going to be something that UFC fans are not just going to tune in. UFC fans used to tune in to see could someone go a few rounds and maybe could someone pull off a miracle and beat Ronda. Now people are going to tune in to see is she the same fighter? Does she have that aura of invincibility? And can she rebound from that loss? The question is, is she physically, like you say, you know she's getting in shape, but will she physically be ready on December 30th? I think so. I uh, think she will be. You know, training is, is, is a good way to stay in shape, but live action. It's is also mental else. for her. Mental yeah. that's going to be that's tough gonna, to get back the thing, to the octagon. The mental part of the part of the of her is that will she able to bounce back from that? That's going to that's nothing. That's something we can't answer. That's something we have to wait and see. As a but as a fighter's mentality, you know, I think the one thing, and I'm saying I'm not a fighter, but we've seen. Don't sell yourself short, Ray. You could, you, you could be a fighter. I mean, I could you be. You talk a, about your kickboxing all the time. Well, I, I was a wrestler, too. And I, I there we go. Up, I could do it, but I wasn't a great wrestler. I was an average wrestler. But I still know the grappling moves. But looking at uh, mentally, like it's hard for us to bounce back from a loss because we yeah. always have these, these memories. Because you know how even an athlete's self, we always remember the losses more than the wins. Look, you ask, always you remember are, that. You ask uh, Doug Baldwin was on Bill Simmons' show any given Wednesday last week and Bill Sim and he was asked what do you remember what in, in terms of emotions is was more impactful the loss to the Super Bowl or the win and, and he said the loss the loss it's always been the loss yeah. uh, every and especially and that's really loss. comparable to Rousey because the way the Seahawks lost that Super Bowl yeah, it was so worse. devastating and the way Ronda got knocked out is so devastating that you really have to think that that knockout there's a reason she hasn't fought in over a year because she hasn't heard she's fighting December 30th. Her last, I think she lost to 
probably home in October, November. Yeah, I mean, always remember the athlete. They remember the loss more than the win. I mean, we yeah. also see it when Brady lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. Like even though he won the fourth one, still remembers those two losses against the Giants because it still haunts him to this day. Or Stephen Curry in Game Seven still has nightmares. That'll, that'll, yeah, he'll remember LeBron that. James, even when he lost the Warriors, he still had nightmares about that. Look, you, you ask like, Steve Kerr, he's st- if what were some of his worst moments? He still talks about that Final Four game when he was at Arizona, how he didn't play well. Yeah, because yeah, like I can say you always remember that loss. I still remember a loss when we were wrestling when I lost in the playoffs and my I lost b- and then my team lost because I didn't win. Your playoffs might be a little different. Well, I'm the, I don't, I don't, but I'm saying like I'm just saying. Like but no, the, the point is the point yeah. is the same that yeah. that sticks with you. It always sticks with me. It's just it's hard to get over. So w- will she get over that or will she fall well, back? Well, she's to that? lost before, not in the U, not in the MMA. Not in MMA. Lost, yeah. She lost in the Olympics. I think she got a bronze medal in wrestling. Yeah, she probably so, still remembers that. Yeah, she's <laughs> lost before, but I don't think. She didn't lose at this high of a profile before, where yeah. she was the Mike Tyson, the biggest attraction of her sport, and then lost in a terrible fashion. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. But I, I well, Are you excited, though, to at least see her back in the octagon? Oh, yeah. Because there were I'm a lot excited. of reports that people did. I, I don't know. if I always thought she'd come back, but a lot of people were like, I don't know, maybe Ronda won't come back. No, she, she'll come back. Did, she'll did come you always think that she'd come back, or did you? She has to come back, because if she, if she retired like that, People remember her then, like that loss. Yeah. She needs to bounce back, get a couple of wins, she and will? then retire. Do you think she will? I think she'll bounce back. I, okay. I, I, she's that type of fighter, I think, where she trains hard, and I think she's mostly going to be prepared for this, hopefully, and she's going to bounce back and win this, and then maybe later on retire. Okay. Maybe Because the, there's one more fight out there for Cyborg that she yeah, wants to fight. She has to beat her, and then maybe she'll retire after that. Okay, because then there's or nothing else to prove. maybe she'll, well, she'll well, face Holly Holm yeah, and, then, and then maybe retire. Yeah, okay. then retire. I think she wants to end that before she retires. Yeah. Beat but her. That, they're always going to have that one loss, though, on her record. Yeah, but, you know, no one's perfect. You're going to lose Floyd, some fights. Floyd Mayweather well, won every well, fight. Well, he's just Rocky avoiding Marciano fights. Marciano won every fight. Well, he's just avoiding fights with Floyd Mayweather. For well, all we know. It's a different sport, but, you know. Yeah. He's just he's just pretty much like dodging people and dancing. Yeah, you could argue, you could ring. go through Floyd's <laughs> history. We did that a little earlier when we had um Maria on and we had Jay Prez on. Yeah. We talked a little boxing and we you know, Jay was a Floyd Mayweather guy and Maria's a Manny Pacquiao girl and we went through how, you know, Floyd might have ducked Manny for uh, five years. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, it's gonna it's definitely gonna be interesting to see Ronda come back. So, we'll end it from here. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow the Slam City Facebook page and our Twitter account at SlamCity underscore 360. Follow the host at Morinus10. At Jeremy EPS. And we'd be remiss if we didn't thank our guest, Keith Slosher, who covers the Knicks for SNY and Jason yeah. Bell for coming on. You follow them on Twitter as well. And also the Big Dunk Tuesday website and Twitter account at the TheDunk360 because there can only be one. You already know. See you next week.